1974, a group of scientists and government officials sat in silence in the jungles of Puerto Rico. They were staring up at the afternoon sky. And then, a strange noise. A little bit like TV static, but also a little bit eerie, ethereal. Just two warbling notes, over and over and over. For almost three minutes, the noise continued, blasting through the speakers. Some people were moved to tears. Others stood up and began to gravitate towards this unfathomably big structure. Three towers with blinking red lights, a 900-ton platform suspended high in the air between them. And in the center, nestled into the ground, a curving dish as wide as three football fields. It was a massive telescope, sending out radio signals into space, the very first time humans had intentionally sent a message out to whoever or whatever might be out there. A message saying, we are here. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we visit Puerto Rico's Arecibo Observatory and its enormous telescope, a site loved and lost to both scientists and everyday Puerto Ricans. That's after this. I'm LeVar Burton, and I read my favorite short stories every week on my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. This season, that includes stories by Justin C. Key, Luis Alberto Urea, and Percival Everett. It's kind of like a book club, except you don't have to do the reading. I do. Listen to LeVar Burton Reads wherever you get your podcasts on. Don't forget to follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Earwolf, Team Coco, and Stitcher listeners. It's me, Ashley Ray, and I'm here to tell you about a special collection of podcasts in honor of Women's History Month. From TV I Say with yours truly, Significant Others with Liza Powell O'Brien, and Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer, we are excited to celebrate all women who are part of the Sirius XM podcast family. So let's toast to these women-led hosts and listen on Amazon Music. Up until 2016, Arecibo was the world's largest radio telescope. It could detect radio waves from space and use them to create maps of the cosmos. And it could also send those waves out into space. What they were sending into the sky that day in 1974 was called the Arecibo message. It was a series of radio pulses beamed into space. And the hope was that those pulses could be received by extraterrestrial life and decoded, turned into a visual image that looked something like an old-school pixelated video game, like Space Invaders or something. And the picture 
showed basically life on Earth 101. There's a stick person, some chemical symbols, a kind of rough diagram of the solar system, and at the bottom, a very, very simple image of the Arecibo telescope itself. Again, that's if the radio pulses could be decoded. The person who designed the message apparently tested it out on famed astronomer Carl Sagan to see if he could crack it, and he could not. So good luck out there, aliens. The eerie two-tone sound broadcast with the message, that was actually a little bit of theater, an audio representation of the radio signals. The aliens weren't actually going to hear it, and the humans couldn't actually hear the real radio signal because it was not in a hearing range kind of thing. Anyway, it was a nice touch for the ceremony. Now, the Arecibo message was a cool, fun thing. Like, who doesn't get excited about aliens? The truth is, is that all the alien stuff was a tiny piece of what Arecibo did. It was a blip compared to the other wonders that the telescope has helped us discover. So let me just rattle off some of those discoveries for you. So it detected the first planets outside our solar system. It gave us maps of Venus. It helped us figure out how fast Mercury rotates. It studied pulsars, radio bursts, gravitational waves. It even detected Earth-threatening asteroids. Like, it was an absolute trailblazer. Just this amazing, mind-expanding stuff that we just didn't know about before was discovered at Arecibo. So the science was monumental. But Arecibo itself was also kind of a monument, giant in size, dedicated to this work of discovery. It was a place that loomed large, both in its role in Puerto Rico and for all the scientists that worked there. I will start by saying that my first visit to the observatory was in 1980 when I was a few months old. And so I don't especially remember that one. Nadia Drake is a science journalist, and her dad is actually the astronomer Frank Drake who designed the Arecibo message. They've been to the observatory together a number of times. And for both of them, the way this thing looks, when they first see it jutting out of the jungle, it just doesn't get old. I think my dad had described it as an alien visitation (laughs) because they just look so out of place. Um, among all of this really thick foliage, these white towers emerge and the scale is just kind of in, incomprehensible. Your brain just can't really process it. You don't have the necessary perspective to understand just how big it is. And beyond the phenomenally cool structure, beyond even the groundbreaking science, Arecibo just had sort of a presence. I think of it more as a cathedral. It's a place whose significance um, transcends its utility. So in the same way that I can walk into a cathedral and not be a practicing Catholic yet realize that I'm in a place that has enormous significance and beauty and took, you know, ingenuity to build. Um, I think it's a, it's the same way with, with the Arecibo Observatory. My favorite memory of Arecibo has to be my wedding. That is Emily Alicia Munoz. She is a Puerto Rican physicist. And you heard it right. Emily got married at Arecibo. Her husband's an astrophysicist as well. And the wedding pictures are amazing. She's wearing white, standing in front of this giant silver dish. My parents were just like, of course you want to get married at Arecibo. Of course. (laughs) 
Emily says as a kid growing up on the island, she was obsessed with astronomy. Her parents took her to see the telescope a few times, and it was a really special memory. I mean, Puerto Rico is a small island. Uh, There's economic troubles. There's political troubles. And Arecibo was always, uh, it was there telling you that you can do more. If you want to be a scientist, you can be a scientist. Look at this magnificent science facility that we have right here in our little island. And that meant a lot uh, when when you're a kid and you don't see much representation of you know, Latinos in science. So having Arecibo there was great for knowing that, yes, we can do science. We are a tiny little island, but we can do big science. Which is why the news that Arecibo was failing was so devastating. Late last year, one of the cables holding up the receiver platform at the telescope slipped out of its socket. We were paying attention just like everybody else was because that's not something that's supposed to happen, and it shut down observations. Nadia was reporting on the telescope and the observatory at the time, and it seemed for a second that maybe they could fix it. But then, a few months later, a second cable snapped. And so I was here at home and just reading uh, the press release, and I said, oh, a second cable um, at Arecibo just came out, and my partner, who's an astronomer and uses a telescope, said, oh, no. Two out of 18 cables were down. Not good. You can just see how that would turn out. One cable pops, then another, then another. And fewer and fewer cables holding up this 900-ton receiver platform. They were worried that the entire thing would end in a catastrophic collapse. So the National Science Foundation pulled the plug. They decided to decommission the telescope and do a controlled dismantling. But... They weren't quick enough. Just before 8 a.m. on December 1st, 2020, it collapsed. The sounds you're hearing were picked up by a National Science Foundation drone. And the footage is kind of shocking. It's a sunny day, a blue sky, and the receiver platform is suspended there. And then out of nowhere, another cable pops violently, and the receiver platform drops through the air, smashes into the dish below. Luckily, no one was hurt. That morning, I'd actually been up early, just kind of scrolling through uh, the internet on my phone, lying in bed. (laughs) But I saw a tweet go by, and it was just an image of the telescope's three towers with nothing in between them. There was no platform. And I saw that image and just sat straight up and said, probably something you can't publish. (laughs) It's a little strange to tell someone, I'm sorry for your loss when you're talking about a telescope. But Emily Alicia Munoz says that's exactly what it's like for her. It is a loss. It was like losing an elderly relative. You kind of sometimes took it for granted that it would always be there. It was just our radio telescope, our Arecibo. And 
a point of pride for the island, uh, for everybody. It's unclear what will happen to Arecibo. Some plans for rebuilding the telescope have been floated, but they might just be pie in the sky. For now, the observatory is closed. But remember that message that astronomers beamed out into space back in 1974? They didn't just shoot it into nowhere. They aimed it at a star cluster called M13. And that star cluster, it's 25,000 light years away. So the Arecibo message, it's still out there, zooming through the cosmos at the speed of light. It's been on the road for about 47 years so far. So only, you know, 24,953 left to go. And remember, inside that message, the message flying across space right now, is a picture of the telescope itself. The physical telescope may be gone, but years from now, if and when that message ever reaches that faraway star cluster, and if and when an alien manages to decode it, one of the first traces of human life that an extraterrestrial could witness is a picture of the telescope at Arecibo. The audio representation of the Arecibo message was created by Dmitry Ilysev on Wikipedia Commons. And special thanks to Nadia Drake and Emily Alicia Munoz for talking with us today. It was a real pleasure to hear about your relationship with the telescope. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Chinenya Onike, Maddie Weinberg, Camille Mojica, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll talk to you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Now playing in Los Angeles. Exquisite food and drink. World-class art everywhere. Spectacular sports and dazzling Hollywood attractions. L.A. offers... The full variety of food scene, from game-changing taco trucks to 35 Michelin stars. And did you know that Los Angeles has more museums and theaters than New York? It is indeed scandalous, but also unfortunately true. So get your fix in music, film, comedy, or world-class museums in L.A. Plus, you can get a behind-the-scenes movie magic with a world-famous studio tour. That is something that should be on everybody's bucket list. Start here with discoverla.com. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic, and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.